HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hey, this is Kathy Airway, host of Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for almost 10 years, and even after all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio, made from two recycled shipping containers, because I'm so excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of food and literature. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love to this show by selecting Eat Your Words in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks so much for listening to HRN. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. I'd like to give a special thanks to myself from two weeks ago for that little promotional message you heard just now. <laughs> that was really freaky. <laughs> but anyway, yes, uh, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. And um, today's show is really special because I've had this book um, in my sights ever since I heard that it was coming out, and I couldn't wait to speak to the author of it. So when I think of um, some of my favorite cookbook authors and certainly some of the most legendary and well-known cookbook authors, um, I often conjure an image of an older woman, sort of maternal, um, who's wise from years and years of um, cooking, shopping for ingredients and so forth, um, and really being an expert in their cuisine. I'm talking about folks like, you know, Julia Child, Mother Jaffrey, um, <clears throat> certainly Lydia Bastianich, and so forth. But this book is written by a decidedly younger, fresh voice. It is so appealing and energetic to read, but it also is co-written by the author's mother, who is every bit that sort of wise, uh, I don't know, traditional, more traditional, but actually not 
where am I going with that traditional word? Let's talk a little bit about that later. But, you know, it's written in combination or in collaboration with the author's mother, who she pays homage to for and her culinary know-how. So I'm speaking today with Priya Krishna, who has co-written the book Indianish, Recipes and Antics from a Modern American Family, with her mom, Ritu Krishna. Um, and a foreword by Padma Lakshmi. So welcome to the show, Priya. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming, and congrats on your first book. Thank you. It's actually my second book. Oh, yes. You um, read the I wrote college. a book about how to hack your college dining hall, but this definitely does feel... I wrote that book in college. This feels like my first like professional book. Professional book. <laughs> From a professional writer who has written for Lucky Peach, The New York Times, Bon Appetit, and... Um, and also the ultimate dining hall hacks, which is the cookbook you wrote yeah. in college. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this book um, is sort of like a love letter to your mom's cooking growing up in Dallas, and as you know, as you've inherited her kitchen wisdom because her recipes are featured throughout this book, and there's even a yeah. passage from her. So it's sort of um, a collaboration, a collaborative effort. Totally, but my mom she wrote all the recipes like she that. Did. That is the know-how. I knew that I was like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a good, I'm a good journalist. I can tell people's stories. I can craft stories, but I'm not an intuitive cook. Mm -hmm. So I was like, if my mom supplies the recipes, I can kind of craft the narrative around it and pull those stories out of her. Um, and also family members too, you mentioned yeah. throughout this book. Yeah. Each recipe has this wonderful story behind it. It's so unique. Um, and I want to get into some of those too, but they involve other family members mm -hmm. or sometimes friends and so forth. So it sounds like a real group effort. Yeah, I was lucky enough to grow up with a really, really large extended Indian family in Dallas, Texas. And my parents also had some really good family friends who we would travel with. Mm -hmm. So we had a very nice extended Indian community. And this yeah. book, I want, I, it didn't feel right to not include them too. Yeah. So um, the subtitle is Recipes and Antics from a Modern American Family. And uh, you're born and raised in Dallas. I was born in New Hampshire and we moved to okay. Dallas when I was two. Yeah. Got it. Um, your mom and parents are from India. Mm -hmm. um, and I was sort of like mentioning the words traditional and then took it back. <laughs> but how would you describe their cooking growing up? Well, so my mom never learned how to cook when she was growing up. Um, her mom hated cooking. Mm -hmm. um, and so she immigrated to the States and was like, I have no idea how to cook except roti. Mm -hmm. um, and so she started watching like Martin Yan and Julia Child and Jack Pepin. Mm -hmm. And she started buying cookbooks from people like Darla Dalal, who was a really prolific cookbook author in India. And she basically took the memories of eating in India and the ingredients she had access to at an American grocery store and came up with her own recipes so that subtitle was really important to me because this food like these recipes were all developed in the u.s mm -hmm. like this is fundamentally an american story and i think there's this tendency that the word american or american food only encompasses you know western food you know italian french that that sort of thing or hamburgers mm -hmm. pizza type of cuisine and i wanted to sort of make clear that this 
that like that this is American food. Like this belongs in the genre of American food. I didn't want this book to be relegated to like the international section of cookbook stores. Really cool. I love that you write in the introduction. I hope this book does does well, largely so that publishers and consumers will take notice. Will take more chances of stories like this one, which don't fit the mold of what has dominated the cookbook genre for so long. Um, a mostly whitewashed interpretation of America and its food. So this is an inherently American story. Um, where I was thinking about this, because I had a recent um, sort of discussion with a lot of food writers about what belongs in this like American food cookbook category, and what does that even mean nowadays? Um, so where would you hope this book would be? Would, would you call it like, would you hope that it ends up, for instance, in the James Beard category for best American cookbook or best international? I mean, definitely American. Like, this yeah. is not an international cookbook. Like, I was not born and raised in India. Like, this is largely about, like, my experience as a child of immigrants growing up in the U.S. And my mom's experience, like, once she got here. Like, it doesn't talk a lot about life in India because that's not something that I know or I'm an expert about. Mm-hmm. Um I don't want to pretend to be an expert on every region of India. That's not what this book is about. This book is about this very specific experience that I had growing up that will hopefully make people want to cook with Indian flavors more. And why do you think there was a reluctance to to that concept um, from publishers in the cookbook genre for so long? I, You know, I think that there's just always been these preconceived notions that people don't want to cook food that's not, you know chicken thighs or a simple spaghetti with meatballs that people are uninterested that people would go out to eat Vietnamese food and Indian food and Chinese food but that they would be really reluctant to cook it at home you know Mm -hmm. there are all these conceptions you have to go to a million grocery stores you have it's really complicated it's really difficult it takes forever well guess what my mom's food was literally born from like what she could find in an American grocery store and you know now we live in this world where grocery stores are stocking turmeric and lentils and fish sauce and things that they didn't stock 30 40 years ago so I think that there's more more of an openness than ever from people and I think to as, cook yeah to cook yeah to cook all like kinds non-white of food, food right. basically yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's more accessible it's easier as you mentioned and so yeah this is American food yeah and just like every single day I get just like so many DMs of people tagging me having made this food. Mm-hmm. It feels very validating. People are like, people are realizing like, oh, this food is actually not that hard to mm-hmm. make. <laughs> so uh, I love that you um, include this wonderful illustrations throughout, actually. Mm-hmm. There's like these cartoonish characters, um, like you can cook it on the front cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also in the introduction to the recipe for kitchri, uh-huh, um, yeah, uh, an illustration of a you know a sort of cartoon um, you. Uh-huh. I guess is that you? Yeah, it's, I guess okay. it's supposed to be me. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy saying, you know, uh, or you saying, I knew it. What was it? Sorry. It's the Have you heard of ghee? And yes. I'm saying way ahead of you. <laughs> way ahead of you on that one. And in the in the um, introduction for that recipe, you mentioned that a lot of like sort of yoga instruction, <laughs> like wellness sort of gurus have decided all of a sudden that this, you know, healthful, like, enter- I don't know what they categorize it as, but, you know, um, immune boosting, 
Totally. Like, yeah. Indian food has become, like, super, like, hippie yoga wellness food now. Mm-hmm. But don't forget that it comes from, you know, Indian folks who've been eating it forever. Yeah. I mean, it's and Kichardi is such a perfect example of that. Like, I was editing a story for a different magazine, and this woman who was, like, writing about, like, buying crystals and stuff wrote, like, and she spelled it, like, She's spelled it like kichari. She was like, I've recently discovered this like nu- nourishing dish called kichari, which has like aligned my chakras. And <laughs> like, it was just, uh, yeah, it just, it, I was like, wait, what? Like kichari is now being eaten by these like white lady wellness folks. And, you know, I think for me, it's like, I don't have a problem with, white people eating kichardi it's totally Mm -hmm. fine kichardi is awesome everyone should be eating it but it's sort of this tone or this notion that like they discovered it for the Mm -hmm. first time and sort of erasing the fact that it's existed in indian culture for a very long time before then and and they're taking credit a little bit for it yeah you know i saw like this one kichardi recipe where it was just someone made lentils and then someone made rice and put one on top of the other but the whole point of kichardi is stewing the lentils and the rice together Ah. and (laughs) okay that's not then it's not even correct yeah yeah that's just like dal chowl then yeah and and i think that this topic has come up a lot with turmeric which you've written about Mm -hmm. um for bon appetit but um that's one of the ingredients that we see co-opted a lot Mm -hmm. um do you think that there's you know benefits to folks you know is this like a gateway to maybe learning more about Indian foods? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's an entirely bad thing. I think it's mm-hmm. great that you can now buy like five varieties of turmeric mm-hmm. at Whole Foods. What bothers me is, well, one, when people pronounce it turmeric, I'm just like, there's, a, there's an R there. It's turmeric. <laughs> right. Um, and second, like, it's just so funny to me that like people seem to think that turmeric is like a flavor unto itself. But like, if you ask any Indian, they're like, I would never flavor something with turmeric. Turmeric is like, adds color. Mm-hmm. It sort of gives the other spices in the dish a depth. that's like, plays this supporting role. But then I talk to women who are like, oh yeah, I stir it into my orange juice. And I'm like, that sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> just plain, like no heating yeah, enough. Nothing. They it just, needs heat, yeah, nothing. Right? Like, yeah, it needs some kind of heat or or dairy to like, okay, one, activate its health benefits and to like, yeah, to make it taste not super harsh and bitter. Okay, so turmeric lattes. Do you think that works? Well, I mean, turmeric lattes are just the same thing as holy dude. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not. That's not new. Like Indians right. have been have been heating up like turmeric and and warm milk with like tea for a very long time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like I don't know. It's funny. I feel like a lot of turmeric lattes, like they just don't taste anything like it's like they're doing everything they can to like mask the turmeric i don't know it's just Hmm. very it's all about the health benefits yeah yeah yeah. like i don't i'm not mad about the turmeric latte but i'm like let's just acknowledge that this is just holy dude it's yeah it's something that we see more and more you know with ingredients as they become popular totally and um did you see any other ingredients that are going this trajectory of embracing and then sort of reclaiming um i think moringa that's happening Mm -hmm. it's like to a lesser extent i like apparently like made a splash like the fancy food show is like a snacky Mm. thing what is moringa moringa i you know i'm not like entirely sure what it is but 
god like what i don't i like don't even know how to classify it but it's like something that's kind of existed in indian food for a really long time and then i think like the consumer packaged goods industry is really like like saying it's like oh it's like a healthy snack food yeah yeah sure so yeah i don't know i just you know i feel like (laughs) maybe we'll we will have reached like peak turmeric when there's like a pringles flavor (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that doesn't sound good at all but people will be like oh my god yes turmeric pringles i will help yeah my tacos (laughs) while eating potato chips i don't know about that um i love though you mentioned you're not an expert on indian cooking but Mm -hmm. this you know this cookbook really really beautifully and um uh, practically really lays out some principles for cooking everyday food mm-hmm. um, with like techniques that are I don't know would you say pretty classic to Indian when when we're talking about techniques like chonk yeah I mean it's called chonk is is called something different in mm-hmm. depending on the region that you're in but the idea of tempering spices and oil is mm-hmm. like a very classic Indian technique and I felt like it was something that was worth dedicating a section yes. to and yelling from the rooftops because it has totally changed the way I cook. Yeah. And it, this is basically like, I've heard the, the term tempering used for it, which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you basically take some ghee and you warm up whole spices mm-hmm. in it. Yep. So it's totally infused and, it, and it's added to dishes sort of at the end. Yes, usually. exactly. Okay. So it adds that like splash of flavor. So and a little texture and crunch. Texture and crunch. Richness. So it's like the finishing. Think of it yeah. as like the Yeah, it sort of green. brings like a doll or a subsea. It sort of brings it to like technicolor. You know, it brings it alive. I think that, yeah, you mentioned that this is like the greatest Indian cooking technique ever and everyone should know it. And I think that, you know, seeing some friends of mine who are Indian do this, it was really like a light bulb moment for me. Right, totally, totally. It was like, oh, you know, we don't really, I wouldn't have thought of that before. So it's like a wonderful But there's also like, it's interesting like seeing, I think some people have been making chonk without realizing it. Like a compound butter, for example, is like kind of like a chonk or Mm -hmm. like the way that when you make a steak and people put like whole thyme and then like base the butter over it, you're kind of making a chonk. Like, you know, there's Brown like butter sage or something. Yeah. On top. Or like, okay. you know, I was thinking about like chili crisp. Chili crisp is essentially that's a true type of chonk. It is. <laughs> Infused chilies and oil. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, we're going to talk a lot about, about more of these recipes and techniques, um, but we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break and we'll be right back. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. 
My name is Allison Kane, and I'm the host of In the Sauce here on HRN. Now that I'm expanding my cooking school to a sauce line in grocery stores, I need all the help I can get. And I want to help other entrepreneurs build their brands too. You can find In the Sauce wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. We're back chatting more with Priya Krishna, author of Indian-ish. Um, we're chomping down some pizza right now. Really good. <laughs> and um, you were mentioning what you would put on it, maybe chili crisp, mm-hmm. spicy chili crisp. You do have pizza in this book. We do. And tell me a little bit about that one, how it came about. That is probably the most made dish in, mm-hmm. our, in the Krishna household, is the roti <laughs> pizza in the book. Mm-hmm. Basically, when my sister and I were growing up, all we wanted was to have pizza for dinner because we saw a bunch of our kids or a bunch of our friends like they got to have pizza for dinner and we had to eat dal chowl, lentils and rice. So we would beg my mom to let us eat pizza. And one day we she she was like, I don't know how to make pizza, but she like roasted some rotis and then started putting our favorite pizza toppings on them and then she baked them and the roti just like crisped and curled and charred like a pizza crust. Mm-hmm. And like was a nice sturdy surface for the toppings, and it just worked so beautifully. And roti pizza became just like this iconic Krishna oh, dish, and it was really exciting to see. Like, I was reading Nick Sharma's book, and he has that book for naan. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, it is so like. Obviously, I think my mom's food is great, but like, it's even more exciting seeing like other right? immigrants and kids of immigrants doing something really similar. Actually, Diana Kwan's book. Um Red Hot Kitchen has a, a red, I think it's sp- spicy chili crisp. No, no, it's XO sauce pizza. That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, pizza's really become a vehicle, but actually it's similar to having the bread that you dip in your dishes, mm-hmm. but it's all spread on it on top and then crisp. Yep. So it sort of hit the jackpot for totally like crispiness and flavor. And I love that you have, um, your mom seems to be, a huge fan of various different cuisines and loves to travel. Yes. Um, so some of that influence is throughout these recipes in various different places. But for instance, you have the tofu basil endive leaves, mm-hmm. which was influenced by a dish that she loves from P.F. Chang. Yeah. Um, yeah. The I loved, I loved hearing that story yeah. because my mom is like such a picky eater. But to find mm. out that her favorite restaurant when she was like a young software engineer was P.F. Chang's <laughs> was amazing. Well, I guess P.F. Chang's has these really famous, they have these, these lettuce wraps and you can get them with chicken or with tofu. And my mom would get them with tofu. And it's sort of like tofu that's like seasoned with like soy sauce and mm-hmm. oil. Chop, chop, and then shiny. like, yeah. And then it's crumbled and you get like peanuts in it and some herbs. And my mom just loved this. Mm-hmm. And so she came up with her version using endive and like some more Italian leaning ingredients. And it's sort of this like crazy hybridized appetizer, but it's delicious. It's amazing. (laughs) And your mom's like invented a lot of dishes that like turned out surprisingly well, like the pancakes. 
Um, yeah, I love. I'm so glad you brought up the pancakes. <laughs> That's like the unsung hero of this cookbook. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it sounded amazing that she just like. Okay, tell me about it. But yeah, yeah. She again. We, my sister and I were like, we want pancakes. Like all of our friends were <laughs> right. eating pancakes. Pancakes. And pizza, so yeah. she went out and bought a thing of Bisquick, and she looked at the recipe on the back, and we didn't eat a lot of eggs, like in India among a lot of Indians like eggs are considered non-vegetarian and so my mom was like I want to come up with an eggless version and so she <laughs> took the Bisquick pancake mix and like added a bunch of wheat germ wheat germ, wheat germ mm-hmm. and milk no butter and then just like mixed it up and made a pancake and it made like the most delicious pancake and these pancakes became so well known that like friends would actively come over on weekends to be like I want your mom's pancakes oh my god and they, they really are so good and my parents legendary were legendary now in your family they were early on the train of like they hated Aunt Jemima's they were like I mean they're from New Hampshire like they knew what the real stuff tasted like so my sister and I would be like we want the gross artificial stuff and my parents were like no like we're a real maple syrup house wow <laughs> I feel like this example and and basically the entire book is such a great sort of um um call to not do things the way that they've always been done and see what happens and and you know you you describe your mom as like a wizard and like Mm -hmm. in the most you know wonderful like terms for her cooking ability um but you mentioned you know she didn't grow up learning how to cook she's not a trained chef or anything like that she's a person she was actually a very busy working mother and um, engineer. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something I've been thinking about a lot is the idea that, like, there are certain things that you're supposed to do and not do in recipes mm-hmm. or in cookbooks. Like, I, you know, I work part-time at the food magazine Bon Appetit, and I feel like there's very much an understanding that, like, this is how you cook chicken, this is how you do this, this is how you do this, and that's, like, the way to do that. And what was really wonderful about watching my mother cook is that, like, she never read those magazines. She never learned the the rules, quote unquote, of no. cooking. So, you know, she was making Free. her rice in a microwave using pre-cut frozen veggies. And, you know, I was talking to uh, Andrew Nguyen, who wrote the book, um, Vietnamese Food. Any day. Any day. Yeah. yeah. Which is an amazing book. And she's talking about how her publisher like actively discouraged her from like recipes and involved a microwave and things like that. But I think, (laughs) I just think, I just think that's like, those are such, the microwave was so essential to my upbringing and to, (laughs) to take the microwave out of that would sort of, uh, would feel inauthentic to my family. And Mm -hmm. I just like love the idea that my mom's recipes don't like abide by any like prescribed like rules of how cooking needs to be and look and look what happens yeah you have these like better than average pancakes you Mm -hmm. know better than the bisquick version i'm sure i've you know and they sound even more healthy too so there yeah my mom was all about sneaking healthy healthy stuff into our food that's a great that's a noble mission and as a as a mom so tell me a little bit about your mom because she is uh, quite an accomplished lady mm-hmm. who never sought out to be a cookbook author. Oh, no, definitely not. Like, this is still very surprising to her. <laughs> <laughs> My mom still has a full-time job. She was trained as a software engineer. Basically, she moved here. She wanted to work. And my dad was a trained software programmer. And so she was just like, okay, I guess I'll just do that. It mm-hmm. wasn't some, like, passion for engineering. She was just like, I guess this is what I know, so I'll do it. So she got her, she got her degree and she uh, just started working as a software programmer in the airline industry. She got to travel a ton. And then it quickly, they realized that she was, 
she was suited to like management. And so basically for the last 10, 15 years, my mom has just been like managing groups of software engineers. Um, and right now she works for the tax software company into it. And I always forget like her job is so she has like a big demanding job. And then when she'd come home in the evening and work on the book with me, it was like, she's very good at just like turning that side off. And, um, I mean, she did so much. People, most people thought my mom was retired when she wrote this book. It's like, no, my mom oh, wow. had a full-time job, still has a full-time job. Right, she's a boss lady yeah. of all these engineers <laughs> and doing amazing things in that field. But yeah. then I love in her excerpt, she she says that she loves cooking at home um, when she gets home from work because she can you know focus on being creative and forget all of that stuff. And it's meditative, you know, I imagine. I, I can really Yeah, relate. it really is. And like... You know, I always think about this. If my mom had had a choice in her career, if there had there been options laid mm-hmm. out in front of her, I think she totally would have been like a recipe developer, like a longtime cookbook author. I really like a you know some kind of food editor somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think my mom was born to develop recipes. She's so good. She just has that intuition of what flavor goes with what that that I don't have. clearly well she she exemplifies that but you've helped sort of bring her uh visions to life in this wonderful cookbook um you write that in the beginning that you know since you've been a food writer um and you know a journalist you know traveling you know getting to interview really cool chefs and um going Mm -hmm. to many different restaurants it sort of made you more and more appreciative of the food of your home. And how did, how exactly did that happen? Like, do you know, like, how it became something that you wanted to take more uh, pride in and write more about? Or was there I think, a moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think as I started eating more and, like, you know, at Lucky Peach, like, we were, you know, we got to eat so many amazing meals when I worked there. And I kind of realized, like, my mom's food, like, holds up against uh-huh. <laughs> all this really amazing restaurant food I've had. And then my mom contributed recipes to one of the Lucky Peach cookbooks, Power Vegetables, and they were so well received. Oh, like in a yeah. way that I was like, oh, okay, this is this is something that people really like, that these professional food people really love. And then when I became a freelancer, the first person I turned to for article ideas was my mom and my dad. And I started writing about them. I started writing about the things that they do and the techniques that the dishes they made just really started resonating with people. And then even like, as I was writing this book, like, I feel like I didn't know whether this book was going to work or resonate as I was writing it. Like I sold this proposal, but I was like, who knows if anyone will even care when it comes out. But as I was sharing the recipe testing process, as other people were testing recipes, I started to sort of gain this confidence. Like, okay, maybe, maybe this could be a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's doing really well. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I love the story about how the title Indianish was sort of a placeholder at first. You yeah. didn't imagine that would be. You were like, mm, no, I'll come up with something way better. Yeah, totally. I just didn't, I didn't want, for some reason I didn't want the word Indian in the title because I was so averse to people pigeonholing the book. I see. Um, like I had all these terrible title ideas, like cool mom or like. Mom cooks. I don't just like really lame, (laughs) lame title. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure there's like a book out there called Mom Cooks or like Cool Mom. Um, But yeah, I like kept going into these meetings with publishing companies, and I would like caveat the title. I'd be like, "Don't worry, I'll come up with a better one." They'd be Mm -hmm. like, "No, we don't. We don't want another title. This is perfect." 
It really says it all. Yeah, it kind of does. And it's not just about the food. It's like about how we live our lives and, you know, the, 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 the world that we've developed for ourselves mm-hmm. in Dallas, Texas and beyond. Like it is Indianish. It's not strictly Indian. It's not strictly American. It's sort of some hybridized combination mm-hmm. of everything. It's it's and it's delicious. Yeah, and, and it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and it's not Indian. And uh, what do you what do folks do? Do you hear from Indian folks who are like, this isn't Indian enough? And it's like. You're yeah, like, well, that's not the point. <laughs> I definitely hear from a lot from like a, like a like a few Indians from India who are like, you know, this isn't this Feta isn't this isn't work. how we make pau bhaji. Right. This is not how you know we make sag paneer. Yeah. You know, and I think people who don't like you know explaining like me like explaining these techniques to people, I think they're like why would you have to explain what a chonk is? But I'm like, you know, not everyone knows right. what a chonk yeah, yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, and I, I feel like I try and like repeat this over and over again. Like I am not an extra in Indian food. This is not what this book is about. This book is about like one very specific slice of right. Indian American life. Um, but yeah, I mean, that has been really interesting. I'm really bad at taking, that kind of criticism or like seeing negative feedback and I need, I need to get better at it. <laughs> well, of course there are people who are not going to like this grain book. of salt, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, I think that, you know, maybe if they just tried to cook some, you never know, you could, you could change and win over some folks. I hopefully. hope so. I really yeah. hope so. <laughs> I mean, they came to, they heard about it. And they were That's like, true. Presumably. That is true. Yes. <laughs> there. So we'll see what happens then. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Well, um, I love this book. I hope you guys all get your hands on it. Um, there's so much to talk about. We didn't even talk about the yogurt making, which is a great, you know, DIY yogurt recipe yeah. in here. Which is Everyone should make their own yogurt. I mean, this, this book is chock full of great recipes and techniques. So thank you so much, Priya, for sharing it. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get back to our pizza, and we'll see you next week on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.